Winter was here, but we are just getting started on our Game of Thrones rewatch for Season 5, Episode 2, The House of Black and White. And now here are the two guys who are planning a wonderful trip this spring to Bravos to visit the House of Black and White. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, yes, surprise. No. Yes. You're hissing? Hiss. No. Yes, 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 yes. You don't want to go? Boo hiss. No. Didn't we? Well, I, I remember once upon a time making jokes about black and white cookies about the house of black and white. Was that how we introduced this podcast way back when? I'm not April sure. 2015. I'm not sure exactly. I feel like we talked about our when when it comes to the black and white cookie, which side are you and which side am I? I think that you are more vanilla than chocolate. No, Is that right? I would never eat a vanilla. Oh, you're cookie. a chocolate. No. You're a chocolate. You're a chocolate. But I like the vanilla, so we decided that we were black and white cookie compatible. Yes, good. I'll eat. I'll eat either side. Like I'll eat the full thing. So I'm 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 ready to match with just about anybody. Are there some people that will only eat the vanilla half of the cookie? I mean, I feel like that's pretty gross. It's a little gross, but I mean, it's got like a little bit of a sweetness to it. It's not as uh, frosting like it's not like as like mushy frosting. It's like the the cold sort of hard frosting. Definitely mm-hmm. the inferior of the frostings, but still frosting. OK. All right. Well, Josh, here we are to talk about where you see Aria going to Bravo. So where she will be here for two seasons as we rewatch the House of Black and White. A lot going on at the uh, at the wall where uh, John is going to win a highly contested election. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that uh, the uh, highly contested uh, 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch election. Yeah. They'll be talking about that one for years. Yeah, Samuel Tarley is going to hack the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to he's going to he's going to figure out how to rig this in Jon Snow's favor. Yeah, uh, exciting developments up there. Things are, you know, it's getting real out in Marine. Daenerys's approval ratings are hitting an all time low. All time low. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a real disaster for oh, Danny bad. in this episode. Well, Very we'll bad. break it all down in terms of yes. how she's handling this in our uh, powerhouse roundtable here as we break down the politics all over the Seven Kings. Yes, and, and beyond. Yes. Oh my God, and Dorn. Yeah. Got to talk about some Dorn. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, Prince Dorin is having some uh, political problems also there, where they, you know, not listening to his people. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of the theme of this episode, Josh. Of uh, you know, uh, struggles of leaders. Yes, and uh, once again, it is uh, it is an episode that has a very clear, coherent narrative theme, as we've just identified, with a episode title that doesn't match it. No, okay, the House of Black and White. You know, it really only speaks to one small section of this episode. But okay, all right. Well, we got Arya sailing to Bravos, and we see her sailing underneath the Titan of Bravos, who makes a loud honking sound. And scares Arya, but then she says, tries to act like she's not. She wasn't scared about that. Yeah, she was fine. Uh, she's seen scarier stuff. That wasn't really throwing her off jump too scare. much. A little bit of a jump scare. This is our our second main trip to to Bravos of the series up to this point. We talked in season four about the Stannis storyline coming to to Bravos, and I I had kind of felt at the time that it was it was a real waste of your first look at Bravos. Don't you think this would have been a little more powerful if we had never been here before, and you're coming here just with Arya for the very first time, and you've got no idea what to expect from this place that you've been hearing so much about all series long? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
would have been more exciting. But uh, luckily, that first scene in Bravos was so forgettable for most people <laughs> that they will think that yeah. this was the first time we went to Bravos. Yeah, just sailing underneath the uh, the Titan of Bravos. Uh, you get a you know a real nice look at what's going on there as Arya is sailing through, and she's yeah, like you said, she claims to not be afraid. Okay, do we believe her? So she ends up at uh, the House of Black and White, and finally, after all this time, we are expecting a reunion with Jock and Hagar, who will be there with open arms for Arya. Instead, a, another man opens the door, says, "Uh, sorry." New phone. Who dis? <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not Jack and Hagar. This man, but it is. But it's not. It's not. It's, Ultimately, it's, you know, we don't. Re- <laughs> I don't really know how how it works exactly. Yeah, I mean, whoever Jack and Hagar is, he was also this guy, right? He was also this guy. Again, he is all of us. He is everybody. Unless, I mean, and we don't really see, you know, we hear so much about the faceless men, but I don't think we ever encounter any of the other faceless men that work at the House of Black and White other than Jack and Hagar. So far, no. Yeah. Uh, That that could be the major twist of the final season of Game of Thrones, though. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know who was running the House of Black and White when Jack and Hagar somehow got captured by the gold cloaks. Right. I think that Jack and Hagar, it's that's just another face. It's just another face. Like there yeah. is no true Jack and Hagar. So there's like probably like at least five to seven different Jack and Hagars. Were they gold cloaks that captured Jack and Hagar? Who were the people I that think captured so. him? At the City Watch? Who knows? Because gold cloaks yeah. came to go look for Arya from those guys. Right. She was, you know, he was part of the, the roundup of people that were going to be shipped up to the Night's Watch. Yes. So. You know, he was thrown into the into the black cells and mm-hmm. then uh, and then Yorin was going to, to schlep him all the way up to Castle Black. Yes, that's the Westeros uh, deportation force, ice and fire. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Don't hit me. <laughs> boo, boo that joke. Bad joke. OK. Arya has, you know, the classic TV and movie line, but I've got nowhere else to go. Uh, I've got no place else to go. Yes. And uh, the man says, uh, no, you have everywhere else to go. Yeah, literally anywhere but here. Yeah, it is. This guy really has no time for Arya Stark, even though the the man who brought Arya across the narrow sea to Bravos seemed like he would have uh, not only him. He says any man of Bravos would have done the same to bring you here. He seems very respectful of Arya, um, but this man, uh, this this guy who maybe or may not be, but probably is, but maybe kind of isn't Jack and Hagar. He's got no time for Arya, at least not yet. It seems like she has to pass some kind of test before she is allowed in and i'm still confused as to what the test was beheading a pigeon yeah the test maybe was persistence aria does not leave she sits on the doorstep uh she gets into her list she stays up all night through the rain josh uh the list here is cersei walder Frey, the mountain marin trant and then that's it on repeat 
Yeah, she's just looping it. And uh, this was something our great friend Sir Brendan of House Fitzy had written into us this week to see uh, to, to comment on the fact that Arya's list has gotten very, very short. And it made me wonder how long ago uh, had we heard about the list and how many names were on there. Um, and it, it's as recently as episode five of season four yeah, when Arya... Hell? Yeah, she's talking about the list with the Hound and uh, mentions that he's on the list as well. And the names that she has. Yeah, let's go time, through the list. Let's go back and got check it. in. I've got it. It's it's Joffrey. Joffrey. Okay, yeah, well, he's, he's dead. He's toast. He's gone. Uh, Cersei is next. Yeah. Walder Frey is next. Okay, we're going to get to him. Marin Trant is next. Okay, we'll get to him. Tywin Lannister. He's dead. Yeah. He, he did. So did I guess she, she got the news. That? She got like a cable on the uh, Bravosi uh, Times. You know, maybe it's just it was such big news that even even on 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 the way to Bravos, you, you couldn't have missed it. Mm-hmm. It's just such a big deal. Um, the next couple of names, the next three names, I don't know. I don't think that there's really any explanation for why they are no longer on the list. Yeah. Uh, the, the red woman is on her list. Oh, uh, Beric Dondarrion and Thoris of Mir are also on her list. It seems that in her trip to Bravos, she has forgiven the, uh, the people who, uh, made the deal surrounding Gendry. Well, Let's let bygones be bygones. Uh, Gendry is going to be off the show for a couple of seasons, so uh, he's not top of mind avenging him. I think, you know, she also figures I'm never going back to Westeros. And if I am, like, I got to just really prioritize. Like, Mm -hmm. I got to I just really got to focus on just a couple of these names. Uh, The three other names that she had on her list back in the middle of season four, Ilan Payne. The show has obviously uh, chosen not to continue with Ilan Payne, given the actor's illness, which he uh, subsequently recovered from, but has not returned to the show. So I think that's probably just how they explain it. He's not a factor anymore. Um, The Mountain is on the list. Still there. And then it was The Hound. Okay. And The Hound left for dead. Mostly dead. Mostly dead. Slightly alive, but mostly dead. Uh, so I guess it makes sense that Cersei, Walder, Marin Trant, and The Mountain, those are the four that are on her squad. Uh, Ty- Tywin is dead. Joffrey is dead. Uh, I think she's just given a pass to the Red Woman, Beric, and Thoros. Thoros, we know, is definitely dead at this point. Beric may be dead. He's died certainly a bunch. Um, there is that lingering idea of Arya and Melisandre having to reunite at some point down the line from that first time that they met. So I wonder how that's going to play out since she has seemingly removed Melisandre from her kill list. Okay. All right. Josh, let's talk about what Arya does next, which is throw the Bravosi coin into the river. What are you doing? She is throwing it down there uh, so that it can be somebody else's time to pick up that coin. <laughs> the Goonies of Bravos. <laughs> the Goonies of Bravos will find that coin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Hot Pie feels like he would have been a great Goonie, by the way. Yeah. He would be a great Goonie. Spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Arya! You Goonie! <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
landscape. Pod and Brienne are going to uh, get food. I feel like that, uh, you know, this is a lot of tour stops for uh, Pod and Brienne across the taverns of Westeros. But I liked this scene uh, more than more than I expected, more than I remembered, because I do think there is that meandering quality to the to the Brienne and Podrick storyline that can get a little old. Uh, and I, I was kind of thinking that this whole sequence in my memory was just kind of whatever. And ultimately, it's not, you know, like a, a standout series of Game of Thrones sequences. But there's a little bit of back and forth intrigue between Brienne and Littlefinger. And I think that uh, knowing that they're going to kind of like square off against each other, just like a season from now that's sort of fun um when sansa meets up with Littlefinger in bulls town uh, and i think that the fight scene that occurs here i thought was a was a, a pretty pretty nicely done uh as far as the game of thrones fight scenes are concerned okay so uh, podrick and brianne are sitting in the tavern they also have sansa and Littlefinger. At dinner, and Sansa is asking about, hey, what about that scroll that you got when we were in the Vale? What's going on with that? Yeah, it's apparently there's a, there's a marriage proposal uh, that's in the works, and isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sansa's like, wait, I thought that you were mourning the death of my beloved Aunt Lysa. Yeah. Uh, little do we know. It's a different marriage proposal. Different marriage proposal. And Podrick looks across the cafeteria and says, oh my God, that's Sansa Stark. Yeah, don't look, but that's Sansa. Sansa? What? <laughs> I said don't look. Yeah, Brienne of Tarth has no chill. <laughs> she, has, she has half of ice as a sword, but she has no chill. <laughs> okay, so Podrick tells Brienne about how there's a bunch of knights with Littlefinger, and Brienne is like, what's a bunch? A hundred? Six? Twenty? A fair question. Like, I don't think bunch is like adequately defined. It's not like it's a couple, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And Brienne tells Pod, ready the horses because we are going to steal Sansa and then bust out of here. No plan, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, much like Jon Snow, she has no plan. What's your plan? Uh, so she she tells Podrick to go get the horses. They only have the one. Yeah, he's so like, Podrick- wait, what, what horses? I have. We have one horse. <laughs> we have we have one horse. Find more. So Podrick has to go and find a couple more horses, and it leads to this uh, confrontation between Brienne and Littlefinger and Sansa, where Brienne is trying to to you know sell herself as Sansa's savior, and Sansa really isn't buying what she's selling yes because sansa saw brianne at the purple wedding and she was bowing to joffrey and she says i'm not going with you i saw you bowing to the king and brianne said look neither of us wanted to be there trust me yeah nobody was into it nobody was feeling that wedding it was a terrible day you know you didn't want to be there i didn't want to be there and and fair enough right but i think the moment that brienne starts talking about uh renly baratheon was killed by a shadow with the face of stannis baratheon that's the kind of thing that's not really going to play well for the sansa crowd at this point yeah you know she's got no reason to believe that anything like that is at all possible uh, in this world. So like, you know, you're, you're with Littlefinger. you know, he's a scoundrel, but he's the scoundrel. You can predict Brienne might just be the gigantic crazy lady. Mm-hmm. And Littlefinger is trying to uh, do a good job of making Brienne seem like a crazy person to Sansa about how she tried to protect Renly and she couldn't do that. What gives you any faith that she's going to be able to protect uh, lady Sansa? Right. And I think, 
Fair enough. You know, I think this is one of little, this is honestly, this feels like one of Littlefinger's last, like, real good moves, right? Of how he's able to just, like, completely twist somebody's words and have his, have his way come out on top. Um, we are at the point where we're, we're well over the hill when it comes to Littlefinger and his cleverness. Uh, he's about to sell Sansa down the river to the, to the Boltons. That's going to be a bad plan ultimately in the beginning of his undoing. So are we looking at Littlefinger's, like, final, like final actual formidable move at this point of what not saying don't go with Brienne yeah just like the way that he's able to outplay Brienne here I feel like this is uh the last time he's really going to be able to very successfully twist somebody's words yeah I wouldn't give him that much credit for outplaying Brienne it's not uh what she's known for no (laughs) she's got a great heart she's great on the battlefield it's not like she's a dummy but compared to Littlefinger we're all a little bit uh lacking in that department And so Littlefinger would like uh, his guys to have a word with uh, Brienne and uh, Brienne knows enough to uh, get the hell out of there and her and Pod run for it. They go into the woods and uh, shenanigans ensue. And by shenanigans, (laughs) I mean Brienne murdering so many knights. Mm hmm. Yeah. She stabs that one guy really awfully. Like she she like slashes one guy's throat open and then stabs him through the throat. Right. Like ma- massive amounts of overkill taking place. There's one part where Podrick is uh, dehorsed and there is a guy that's coming for him. Podrick like tries to throw a rock at him and like misses terribly. Uh, luckily, uh, Brienne is there to save the day. That's a funny moment. Yeah, he throws the rock at the knight and the knight says, oh, I guess now you're unarmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that was his weapon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Brienne kills that guy. She's killed a bunch of people. And Brienne is now reinvigorated. Like now that she has made contact with Sansa Stark, even though she's been rejected, she doesn't believe that Sansa is safe. And now her mission has meaning once again. Not for anything, didn't Littlefinger and Sansa travel by carriage in uh, the last episode? What happened to their carriage? I think the carriage just didn't go along for the uh, for the big fight. I think mm-hmm. that that was all the all the knights that were like the bodyguards of the carriage. Okay, all right. It's like one of those Oregon Trail things where they needed like there was like some body of water and they couldn't yes. uh, uh, fjord the river. Right, <laughs> they could fjord not, the riverlands. They, they could not fjord the riverlands. That's right. right. All they right, cocked the wagon. Let's check in with Cersei and Jamie, and she has summoned Jamie to her room, and she has a box, and she will pop the box open, and it is a angry snake with a Lannister chain in its mouth. Josh, did Cersei already open this box before Jamie came in and then reclosed it for effect? Or did she get some sort of a package that said to Cersei from Dorne and was waiting for Jamie to open it? Don't open until Jamie enters the scene. I bet it's the first one. I bet she like she like it very it very much scared her because it so dramatically she, pops open. Yeah, so she like wanted to make sure that Jamie got the full effect. So she redid it. She didn't like do it. Oh, she redid it. Yeah, she like reloaded the spring trap. Mm-hmm. You know, this it's like the it's like the snake in the in the the can of peanuts. Yes, and Cersei was like, "Oh my god, you should have seen the look on your face, Jamie." You fool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so she says that the necklace that's here, there's only two in the world like it. The one I'm wearing and the one that I gave to Marcella. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so 
we have a threat from Dorn. Uh, why does Dorn need to send a threat? If they want to kill Marcella, why don't they just do it? Uh, I think as we will come to discover, uh, most, if not all, of the characters from Dorn operate under uh, ill-advised circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they are not the greatest tacticians. They either sit around and do absolutely nothing, or they act way too impulsively and hot-headedly. I think to a, to a Dorn person that is the case on this show uh so i think for alaria sand this is just like an exciting way to get under cersei's skin uh rather than just doing the efficient thing and putting her plan into motion without having to have any of these scare tactics involved okay well we see that of course uh the dornish blame her for the death of oberon and, of course, uh, for Oberyn's uh, sister's death. And so uh, Cersei is very concerned about Marcella. And Jamie, who is feeling like he has really uh, he's, he's really let his family down. You know, he allowed his brother to escape. And by doing that, his brother killed their father. And so he feels like his father's death is on his hands. He's kind of been this absentee father because if he was a more present father, then it would be very awkward because it's incest and that's no good. Uh, so Jamie is feeling like, you know what, Cersei, let me make it up to you. I am going to show you how good of a father I could possibly be. I am going to sacrifice an entire season's worth of story <laughs> to go That's and very prove generous. myself. Yes, to go and prove myself as uh, Westeros' greatest dad. And he's going to go and he's going to save Marcella. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I like when Jamie is like, hey, you're being too loud. And she is like, uh, like where has your caution gotten us? Yes, that's right. Uh, you know, your caution has gotten uh, our oldest son killed, our daughter shipped off to Dorne, our baby boy is going to be marrying, quote unquote, that smirking whore from Highgarden. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jamie being playing the quiet game has has done them no favors yeah. here in the Lannister household. Jamie never really weighs in on Marjorie Tyrell, but I bet he's like, oh, like oh, I kind of like her. Yeah, I kind of think Marjorie's all right. Yeah. <laughs> He They've got better. no relationship. They've got no relationship. But I, yeah, I think he knows how much Cersei doesn't like Marjorie, so he, he can't pick sides there. Or if he does, he ha- he has to automatically pick Cersei. So yeah, it's like, oh my god, I know I hate her so much. She's so oh, smirking. Yeah, she's definitely the worst. I hate that smirk. <laughs> I don't like the smirk. Yes. Okay. And uh, Cersei is on Jamie about. Well, what are you gonna do? Just ask Prince Doran to give her back? Right. Uh, and he says, no, I'm I'm just uh, I'm just going to go down there. Where, where are they keeping her? Mm-hmm. And Cersei says, I hear that there is only the water gardens. That's so in Dorn. There's only one place and it's the water gardens. So that's probably where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the Red Viper had suggested. And um, I guess, like, do we want to give credit to that scene between the Red Viper and Cersei uh, back in season four as not only trying to, like, kind of set up this fiction that the Red Viper was going to be a very important character, but also were they planting those seeds this early on, uh, as early on as the midpoint of season four, that season five would involve a storyline where Jamie Lannister was going to Dorn? Mm. I don't know. I think it's just like something they recognized after the fact. I I don't think so because I mean it can't be that hard to figure out where Prince Doran lives. Right. This is the Water Gardens. Yeah. It's the capital of Dorn, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they're going to the Water Gardens. Probably not. Sunspear. Sunspear is probably the capital of Dorn. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're going. They're going to the Water Gardens. It's a tourist trap. 
It's <laughs> overpriced mm-hmm. the water gardens. It's really just like the one square block of uh, bushes and fountains, and you just stroll around, get into the occasional uh, Disneyfied fight scene. Mm-hmm. It's no good. Yeah. Okay. And Cersei is saying, oh, you're going to go there by yourself with one hand? And Jamie said, nope, never said I was going by myself. Cut to... We check in with Bronn and his uh, lovely betrothed, Lawless. Lawless Stokeworth. Yes, Lawless Stokeworth, who is Bronn's new lady. And he's already like putting the the idea in her head that like, yeah, man, your sister's terrible. She's the worst and bad things happen to people who deserve it. So don't worry, like that's going to happen. And he needs to bump off yeah. Lawless's sister so that he can uh, take hold of Castle Stokeworth. So he's already planting the Stokeworth seeds. To be fair, Lawless's sister sounds like a garbage person that she pulls Lawless a adult woman's hair when their mom isn't looking. Lawless's sister sounds awful, and I think Lawless is a very pleasant person. <laughs> I, I, I quite enjoyed our, our brief interlude here with Lawless Stokeworth. She seemed like a totally reasonable, nice human being. Yeah. Okay. Lawless spots Jamie and uh, Braun. Starstruck. Starstruck. <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God. Jamie Lannister at Castle Stokeworth. Yes. Oh. Who's that? Jamie effing Lannister. <laughs> not Carl effing Tanner. No, not Jamie from Jamie effing Lannister. <laughs> what if in an alternate universe, instead of Jamie Lannister sitting there, it was Carl Tanner? <laughs> wow. What a better show. <laughs> the Doran storyline immediately picks up with Carl Tanner going to Doran. Yeah, that would be a good move if Jamie would have taken Carl Tanner with him to, to Doran. Things would really pick think- up. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Carl Tanner would have been fairly useless. He would have just been like cutting people's heads off, fashioning uh, wine goblets out of their skulls and just drinking so much Dornish red. It's the best stuff. So he just would have been drunk the whole time. Okay, so Jamie has a uh, offer for Braun, who is immediately suspicious, wants to know uh, on with it. What do you want? Uh, I know this can't be good for me. And Jamie tells him he wants to take him on a trip and he could get a much better castle and much better woman. Impossible. Yeah. yeah. He he pulls out a manila envelope, pulls out two tickets, two tickets to the water garden. Uh, and Bron is is bullshit about it. Mm-hmm. I hate the water gardens. No. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's gonna get a he's gonna get a better castle. He is going to get a uh, a better wife. Apparently, as long as he accompanies Jamie on this ill advised trip to Dorne, uh, as far south as south goes. I liked Jamie's like undercover clothes. His mm-hmm. like stealth his stealth outfit. He's looking yeah. very sleek. This is kind of also like the plot to every single bro movie of all time. It's like Braun is the guy who's in like the stable relationship. And then, you know, he's, he's with Ed Helms. Yes, he's with his fiance <laughs> and they're talking about like how, what they're going to do with their new castle. And then yes. here comes wild man, Jamie. And it's like, hey, we I got two tickets to the water garden. You can't pass up on this. This is going to be the ultimate guys weekend. Yeah, and Bradley Cooper as Jamie Lannister. <laughs> like, what are you whipped? Like, oh, oh hey, hey, Lawless and I have plans. Uh, I've changed, man. I'm a dentist now. 
Okay, if you can't handle it. Yeah, and then Carl Tanner would have been played by Zach Galifianakis, and what a hangover it would have been. Like, uh, and then Braun is like, Carl Tanner <laughs> is coming. Yeah, come on, we're getting the guys back together. Carl, good to see you. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Water Gardens uh, for the first time. Uh, Hilarious can we sand. yada yada through it, please? Sure. Hilaria Sand is uh, not happy. She's mad as hell. Stomping around. She goes yes. to the guard, Ariel, uh, says, I need to see the prince. He says, yeah. well, he doesn't want to see you. Too bad. He doesn't want to see you. Doesn't want to see you. And yes. Doran, uh, the, the great uh, Julian Bashir. Yes, Dr. Bashir. Yes. And sorry, I should have called him by. His. He's also a dentist now. Is he? Prince Doran. No, I, I don't know. think so. And Hilaria Sand is like, come on, let's go kill everybody. And he says, no, let's do nothing instead. Yeah. I think Prince Doran, again, has a fair point of, you know, he did die in a trial by combat. I mean, that's kind of a sanctioned thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess just all I would really say here is uh, if, if you were watching this for the first time and you had read the book, you were really excited because you know that Doran wanting to do absolutely nothing wasn't really what he was doing. Doran, cover. who I... It's he's he's uh, one of Stephen Fishback's favorite characters from uh, the the novels on which Game of Thrones is based. Uh, he is he is secretly planning uh, an alliance that he's going to propose with Daenerys Targaryen, and once he's aligned with the Targaryen household, they're going to go to war against the Lannisters. He's just playing it really cool, playing it very coy, playing it really close to the vest. But for the sake of the show, the show instead decides to just like drop a grenade in the middle of the door storyline and blow it to hell and do nothing cool or fun or patient yeah. and just have it be uh, Power Rangers slapstick. Yeah. Alaria is not patient about this. She wants to, uh, you know, get this story on the road. And in fairness to her, uh, we all are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's saying the sand snakes, I got the sand snakes. They're mad. They're, they're going to avenge. They're going to avenge their father while you sit here and do nothing. Uh, and Dorn, uh, Dorn is just saying, you know, I love my brother. You made him happy for that. You'll always be part of my family. That's great. But we're not going to kill little girls for vengeance. That's not why we do. That's not how we do things. That's not what we do here in Dorn. And Alaria kind of under her breath is like, well, I guess probably I should be uh, in charge of Dorn then. That's her platform that she's going to run on where Alaria Sand, where we do now hurt girls in Dorn. Uh, you know, it might be a winning strategy. You know? <laughs> yeah. It seems like it works for a little while. Okay. At least she is able to get power. I think that's mercifully all of the Doran stuff for this episode. And I, I do think that at the time for me, it didn't play awfully. It was just kind of like, all right, where are they taking it? I'm very excited to see the sand snakes. So at this early point, it only has that, that like little sting because you know where it's going. Okay. So, Dario and Grey Worm are walking the city, and Dario doesn't think it's such a hot idea for the Unsullied to be on patrol because uh, they're too obvious. Nobody's going to do are. anything bad when they see the Unsullied around. The Second Sons, on the other hand, they'll mix it up. They'll go to the bars. They'll go to the brothels. They're, on, they're undercover, and they are much better at finding all of these troublemakers in Marine, and they end up, they go into a house, and uh, Grey Worm very quick to say, nobody's here. Let's let's move on. And Dario says, ah, so you quickly you forget because yeah. you have no fear 
that you don't you don't think about what a frightened person will do. What a scared do. person will do. Yeah, Dario is afraid all the time. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. So Dario takes a knife and stabs it through a, a wall and then hits a guy who is hiding in the wall and uh, they take him away. Book him, Dario. <laughs> throw the book at him. Throw the knife at him and then throw the book at him and send him to jail. Uh, yeah, very impressive uh, that Dario not only knows where the guy is yes. hiding, but knows where to stab in a way where he is not immediately going to kill this person. So many questions. Okay, so now it did not look like there was like some sort of like if the guy was like hiding behind a tapestry and Grey Worm's like, oh, come on, let's get out of here. I mean, it appeared to be like a sealed plaster wall, Josh. Uh, yes, it did yes. not look like there was like some sort of a sliding bookcase. Like he was somehow in the wall. Uh, he had a friend. He had a friend plaster him in. And he said, all right, now you go somewhere and you hide yourself. So, okay. One, how did Dario know where the guy was? He knows the plasterer. Mm -hmm. So he spoke with the plasterman and uh, found out that he had plastered the prisoner, the, the future prisoner behind this wall. Number two, how long had that guy been in days, the wall? Days, <laughs> a week, a week. Is it probably he could sense it by the smell because there's the bucket in there. Mm -hmm. Food is probably starting to spoil. And we know this is the, is this the same guy who uh, killed the Unsullied in the last episode? I believe that's correct. Yes. I think that's the idea. Okay. All right, so let's check back in in Danny's situation room because she's got the whole uh, cabinet there with her. And, of course, there is this guy, Mosador. Uh, what is this? This is like the uh, uh, one of the strategists, communication officer. What, what is his role? Mosador is Hodor's Miranese cousin. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. Yes, he's his cousin from, from Meereen. Uh, no, Mosador is one of the guys who was at the forefront of the revolt in Meereen, that he was one of the first guys to be convinced to rise up against the Masters. And I think as such, sort of how like Grey Worm uh, was this unsullied hero, I think that Mosador is this Meereenese hero, which is why the events of the episode later on are going to really rattle everybody who's who's watching and move them to hisses yes okay so uh we see a lot of discussion about what to do with this guy uh dario has already uh, questioned him and uh, you know danny wants to uh get some vengeance on this guy but uh sir barristan is saying like uh i don't know i don't like that it's not the best way to go yeah, for Barristan the Bold, he's really exercising, uh, or you know, Extra he's, bold. he's yeah, he's he's suggesting let's just let's just play it cool here, mm -hmm. let's just play it calm. Yeah, and Mosador says like, listen, I know these people; they don't respect mercy. You have to go ahead and take vengeance. Fair trial means nothing to them. Yeah, and Barristan's like, yeah, but we don't know what he did or not. Like, we should like show everybody in Meereen that we're we're you know we're going to do things a different way. That everybody gets a say, uh, and most are really not liking that. Look, uh, he he calls Barristan old sir. Yeah, I am. You know, as fair as they come, Josh. But to I me, know that. I know that about you. You find a guy holed up in the wall plastered in with a son of the harpy mask i mean uh, this is an open and shut case in my mind 
you send him back to Plaster's Keep. <laughs> yeah. You put him right back where you found him. Seal him up in another wall. That yeah, is, you look, re, re, re is no doubt in my mind. This man was guilty. Yes, yes. I think this is a pretty guilty guy. I think it's a fairly... Listen, I, I do think, though, you know, if Daenerys is able to to put this guy on trial and do it fairly publicly and show that there is this different way, you do wonder how, like, if that would have been kind of inspirational for the people who were already behind her. Instead, she is going to have her hand forced to some degree uh, because Mosador is going to kill the guy and Daenerys is then going to feel like well, now I got to kill Mosador, and now nobody's happy. Yeah, so it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal all around. All right, Danny tells everybody their excuse. Sir Barristan uh, hangs out and wants to talk about the Mad King and how he served in the King's Guard. And Danny's like, "Look, I don't want to be lectured right now." And he's like, "No, no, no, hear me out on this." And so he explains that your father too. He thought that he needed to make his enemies. Hey, and he, what he thought he was doing, he thought he was being righteous and just, but ultimately it did not work out for him. Yeah, think about that. Like, you don't want to be like roasting people alive in their suits of armor. That didn't work out well for anybody. Yeah. And Danny says, okay, fine. Look, yeah, all right. I won't execute him without a fair trial. You got to think, like, if you're just, like, rummaging through all of the different people who have been whispering in Daenerys' ear all series long, I feel like there's nobody that she gives quicker yeses to than Barristan the Bold. Mm -hmm. Like, what would have happened if Barristan survived longer than he ends up? Because he's going to die two episodes from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Barristan was able to just, like, oh, anything that he ever said, like, Daenerys, maybe, like, a little bit of, like, oh, all right, old sir, let's hear what you got to say. And then he'll speak. And then she's like, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, because she will get rid of Jorah. Uh, she will uh, not take Dario with her to Westeros. So she's sort of like uh, flying without instruments or relying on Tyrion. Yeah, and when she relies on Tyrion, he screws everything up. Yeah, so anyway, Barristan speaking of Tyrion. Good. Speaking okay. of Tyrion. All right, uh, more people uh, in a carriage. Maybe a Littlefinger's carriage has ended up here. <laughs> and so uh, we see Tyrion and Varys. Uh, they are... On the road to Pentos, because the road to Pentos leads to the road to Marine. Very uh, confusing. Yeah, it's a long and winding road that leads to Daenerys's door. <laughs> yeah, that leads to Mosa door. Yes. And Tyrion is uh, very drunk uh, and uh, Varys uh, is, uh, you know, not loving it. But Tyrion said, uh, you know, were you confused when I said I was going to drink all the way to Marine? Yeah, that was very funny. I, I love that line of like, I didn't misrepresent myself, did I? I mean, I was pretty clear that I'm going to drink my way to see Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, and they get into this great conversation about uh, both being men who live inside of boxes, whether they are small boxes or bigger boxes, but they have a certain ceiling that they can hit, uh, that they can be associated with great leaders, but everybody finds them specifically to be monstrous and they themselves find everybody else to be very monstrous. So it's just kind of like this monstrous loop that they have found themselves stuck inside of. Yeah, and they revisit how good of a power broker Tyrion was during his time as Hand of the King. Uh, Remember season two? Like yeah. That season kind of sucked, but you were so good, Tyrion. <laughs> you were great. Yeah, uh, and now uh, Shay wanted to leave King's Landing. He wouldn't go because he liked it. Yeah, we're supposed to feel good about that. 
Yeah. They, they should have left. They should have gone. Uh, this was not going to work yeah. out. Yeah. Maybe you should have. You should have gone. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So we also learn in this scene that Cersei has offered a lordship to whoever brings her the head of Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, this is this is straight from the books that she is just like she has commanded very like broadly just the execution of anybody fitting the description of Tyrion Lannister. And so people bringing the severed heads of dwarves around the Seven Kingdoms and like having like scars slashed into their faces in order to close like more closely imitate Tyrion. Uh, And that's a that's a really great cut uh yeah. from from Tyrion and Varys talking about it and Tyrion says how many dwarves are there in the world is Cersei going to kill them all and you cut straight back to to Maester Kyburn's room in King's Landing where a dwarf uh a dwarf's head is just placed right in front of Cersei yeah and it's not him and so uh Meryn Trance is saying uh oh, what should I do with this guy throw him in a cell and Cersei's like okay look let's not be rash I don't want any of the other hunters to uh, be dissuaded from trying their best. So let's let's give this guy another chance. Mistakes are going to be made. Cersei is so terrible. <laughs> so understanding. <laughs> like, can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs here, people. Okay, oh, it's so messed up. <laughs> so messed up. I mean, she is she is really uh, a, such a great character, and Lena Headey does such a good job. But I, I think that she, to me, I don't know that we've really stopped down to appreciate it uh, in such clear terms. But for me, has been one of the most rewarding characters on the rewatch because you know around the end of season six Cersei makes that shift towards being the person that is constantly overlooked or like you know that she's mean and cruel but just how dangerous could she possibly be and then she kills everybody at the Sept of Baylor and in season seven she's just been like one step ahead of Tyrion every step of the way mm-hmm. so you know that she's actually really actualized as this supervillain uh, towards the end of Game of Thrones so along the way getting to watch those moments that are building towards that explosive climax Cersei that we are getting for the final stretch of the show has been a real joy and just that one exchange is just yet another notch in that belt of oh well don't don't punish this guy he killed the wrong he was trying his best he tried he tried (laughs) it's so so messed up but really really great just like brilliantly written and uh even the performance even better just great stuff. I also love Kyburn at the end, who's like, uh, uh, "Would you mind if I uh, took the yeah. head? <laughs> I, you know, I could, I could use it for something. I don't know what." Yeah, how many severed heads does it take to screw the mountain back together? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love that. He's like, uh, "Do you think I could take that dwarf set? <laughs> I feel like I've got some uh, interesting ideas for that yeah. one." Okay. Yeah. You got to wonder how many severed heads he's got in his basement by the end of this a ton. project. A ton, a ton, a lot, a lot. All right. So Cersei and Kyburn uh, head over to the Red Keep for the small council meeting. And uh, Kevin Lannister is very surprised to see Cersei uh, sit in Tywin seats. Oh, what are you, the hand of the king? Yeah, not not I'm not no. the hand of the king, but I'm basically the hand of the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. OK. Uh, and so uh, Cersei is going to be handing out some jobs. She is going to have a Mace Tyrell uh, give him she's going to give him the role of a master of coin. 
Yeah, in addition to already being the master of ships, now he's master of coin. And she says that right as Mace Tyrell's like, look, if you need me to be the hand of the king, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> like, to oh, do I got it. another job for you. <laughs> Mace Tyrell's so thirsty. Uh, yeah, so he's got he's got two jobs. He's pulling double duty here on the small council, and he seems to be pretty excited about that. Okay, Kyburn has a new job. He is the new master of whisperers, uh, and we see that Pycelle is not, not happy. happy. No. No, no, he doesn't like it. And Kyburn is so shady he's just like sitting in the room he's sitting at the table like you barely even know he's there until he's made the master of whisperers and Pycelle is just like openly chastising Kyburn to his face and Kyburn is saying nothing Kyburn's like a McPoyle he's just like you know just like very quiet and slimy and gross you're just waiting to see like the tongue flicker at any moment (laughs) it's just just not coming yeah and Pycelle in every season he's in he's just like permanently like but but you your grace I wouldn't do that Faisal is another spectacularly underrated character I think he's just always he's just always getting dunked on it's so great <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kyburn's Kyber sitting there and getting made fun of publicly, already fantasizing about the very traumatic, terrible way he's going to kill Pycelle. Mm-hmm. He's right. like, oh, I'm definitely going to send like a bunch of little kids after you. You're definitely going to get stabbed to death by a bunch of children yeah. that, who, are, who are at my command, and it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he will get access to them as the master of whispers. Yes. Yeah. So Pycelle was right to protest in this moment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've had a prison. Yes. This is not going to be good. All right. Cersei tells Kevin Lannister, hey, how would you like to be the master of war? Yeah. And that seems like a like that's like a heavy metal job. Like that's like a hard rocking job. And Kevin Land is just like, oh, that's very nice. Uh, I'd like to hear that from Tommy Boy. Yes. Uh, he is busy. Uh, yeah. He's doing. Yes. Uh, he would love to be here, but he is booked. He is playing with Sir Pounce. I mean, he's doing kingly things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So Kevin Lannister is really not having any of it. He's at a return to pay respects to his brother and to you and to serve the king. But I did not return to the capital to serve as your puppet. Not a puppet. Not a puppet. Uh, Kevin Lannister, the last Lannister with uh, with any kind of backbone here in King's Landing. Uh, And it's fun because Cersei herself is trying to, you know, what would Tywin do? Seems to be uh, the new philosophy that's coursing through her mind. And I think Kevin's got a little bit of that as well. That, you know, in in his mind, Tywin Lannister wouldn't stand for such an affront. But he lacks the ruthlessness that Tywin Lannister had. I think that if he was a little bit more ruthless, he would have been able to find a way, uh, you know, to cut through this situation faster. He thinks that she is stacking the small council with sycophants. And uh, and what are you doing with Jamie Lannister? Why do you send him off on a uh, where? Where is he? And Cersei says he's on a sensitive diplomatic mission that is classified. Yeah, not your business, Master of War. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you'd think the Master of War would have access to no. to the to the to the secret mission to Dorne, but I guess not. He doesn't have that clearance level. He does not. He does not. And so Cersei is asking Kevin Lannister, "Hey, where are you going?" And uh, Kevin Lannister says, "Look, if the King wants to send for me, I'll be waiting for him at Casterly Rock." Yes. 
Off he goes. Okay. All right. Time for more uh, people learning how to read on Game of Thrones. <laughs> At least it's not a mirror read. <laughs> I think this is a better Would read. Would you rather mirror scene. read or people learning to read? I think that the worst Game of Thrones scene imaginable would be the reeds teaching somebody how to read. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, essentially were the read scenes. You know, that's what Jojen was. He was teaching Bran how to read the green site. Okay, so... Shireen is teaching Gilly how to read and teaches her uh, the letter S. Shireen is uh, so proud of her. Now, I will say that uh, this does pay off that, yes. uh, that Gilly learns how to read. And I, I didn't, of course, uh, you know, think there would be a reason why we would need to see Gilly learn how to read. But uh, in uh, Game of Thrones seventh season, it will be Gilly who is the one who is in uh, whatever book Sam steals from the Citadel. She's the one who ends up uh, figuring out about uh, Jon Snow's uh, heritage. Yeah, but she's not going to get the credit for it. Like no. Sam is going to hog all the credit for for Gilly's discovery, much like how Sam is going to be like, I was teaching you how to read. Who needs Shireen? And Gilly's like, Shireen's a great teacher. She's a very patient teacher. She's actually the one who's teaching me how to read. So double strike for, for Sam Will Tarley. Not only is he not the person who's teaching Gilly how to read, he's also going to steal the credit for her greatest discovery. Yeah. Samuel Tarley, he's a fraud. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, Sam is looking in the history books. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he is looking for. I guess uh, some strategy of how to get John elected Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Uh, we right. found out that Osric Stark was elected at age 10. Uh, to be Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Uh, that would have been fun. Uh, maybe that could be one of the prequels. Young Osric. Young Osric. I would watch that, sure. <laughs> the 10-year-old Commander of the Night's Watch. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of comedy to be mined from that. I think uh, a 10-year-old Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, I was going to say sounds fantastic, but then I just got flashes of what it would have been like if ollie was lord commander <laughs> yeah but most of these night's watch guys are pretty salty so uh, to see them take orders from a 10 year old would be pretty good i think like a salty 10 year old lord commander if they if this was somebody with like the ice water in his veins the way that uh lady liana mormont yes who uh, will hear mentioned indeed indeed like i think that that would be that would be fine i'd be okay with that okay so Josh, we end up hearing uh, a story from Gilly. Uh, she's asking uh, Shireen about her grayscale. And uh, she reveals that two of her sisters had the grayscale back at Craster's Keep. Now, how did this happen? Grayscale is a thing that occurs north of the wall. And once again, in the book, this seems to be a fairly big deal where there's a wildling character who uh, has not appeared on the show and never will. I can't imagine whose name is Val. Uh, she has many idols. Uh, Val is uh, becomes like really close with Jon Snow and she sees Shireen and like not so quietly tweaks out about the fact that Shireen has grayscale. So north of the wall, that's like an automatic death sentence. There seems to be 
this bubbling idea that grayscale is going to have a very dangerous and lethal role to play, to play in the, the greater arc of A Song of Ice and Fire. I don't think it's going to matter much at all on the show as we only have six episodes left. But maybe in this moment in time, they're still wondering, um, is, is grayscale going to have a bigger role to play in the show? Maybe they're just setting up the Jorah reveal that's going to happen a few episodes from now. I had 99 sons and a couple of daughters with grayscale. Yeah. Uh, try to beat that, Mormont. Grayscale, it's really itchy. <laughs> okay. I had 99 grayscale outbreaks. <laughs> All right. So uh, Lady Celise comes in uh, and uh, she does not want Shireen hanging out with Gilly. She doesn't like wildlings. Yes, because somebody could try to hurt Stannis by harming Shireen. Nobody would ever oh, do that. Nobody would ever hurt uh, Shireen, least of all Solis. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we end up with uh, going to Stannis's room and uh, Stannis is going to uh, talk with John and he's got an offer for him. He does after like some light, you know, chastising about what he did to Mance Raider. He's like, you, if you show people too much kindness, they're not going to fear you. If people don't fear you, they won't follow you. Uh, why did you just, you know, you shouldn't have just shot Mance Raider. It was kind of a kind of a, a lame thing to do. Yeah, he's getting dressed um, down a little bit. Yeah, but at the same time, John has a point where he says, like, you burned the king beyond the wall. The free folk will never follow you now, no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, and they start to get into it a little bit where uh, Stannis reveals that Lyanna Mormont, uh, the lady of Bear Island, who's 10 years old, just really dressed me down pretty hard <laughs> yeah. via email. Uh, <laughs> she just, like, tweeted at him and uh, got, like, a thousand likes. Uh, you know, I'm really just completely trashed Stannis. Um, and so he he needs somebody in the north to rally the north, and he wants that to be Jon Snow. He wants Jon Snow to become Jon Stark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Basketball player. When will we see Lyanna Mormont? Not until next season? I believe that's right. Yeah, I don't think we see her until season six. Okay, well, good job setting her up from this point. Great the, job. The Lady of Bear Island. Oh, uh, she's definitely going tweet. to... <laughs> she is definitely going to be an all-star once she shows up. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so Stannis wants John to be uh, the Lord of Winterfell. Okay. Uh, and John says like, hmm, that's a, uh, you know, that's a very compelling offer. Yes. With the stroke of a pen, Stannis can do it. You'll get down on one knee and you'll be a snow and you'll stand up and you will be a shark. Now, Josh, on what authority does Stannis really able to do this? He's the king of Westeros. What are you talking about? So he's, he's the rightful king. Yeah. So if Stannis makes John John Stark, and then you know Stannis gets killed, or like, then this is sort of uh, back to snow for you. Yeah, I mean that's probably the least of his concerns. Right. At this point, he has betrayed the Night's Watch, and the person who he has left the Night's Watch for is dead. So the Night's Watch will be incentivized to do what they will with Jon Snow, uh, and that's you know disregarding the Lannisters of it all. So mm -hmm. yeah. it'd be a bad deal. But I, I think like if Jon were to accept the offer, it would be because he expects that uh, that Stannis is going to win this thing. Okay. So Sam and John are going to huddle up about this. And uh, Sam is like, okay, oh, you're going to take the take the offer. John's like, mm, nah. Yeah, no deal. No. 
Okay. Yeah, he he swore a vow to the Night's Watch. What kind of member of the Night's Watch would he be if he left to be uh, the Lord of Winterfell? If he doesn't take his own vows seriously, who's going to take him seriously? Right. Okay. So we are in the uh, Night's Watch cafeteria, and we are ready for our student council vote for the uh, 998th leader of the Night's Watch, the Lord Commander. Nine nine eight, yes, and there are a couple of people who are who are up for the gig. There's two main candidates on the ballot. There's Alistair Thorne, who seems like a lock to get it with his uh, his great performance during the battle at Castle Black. This uh, this half Murphy coming from Jano Slint, um, he just seems like he's got this job. Uh, and then there's Dennis Malister who uh, uh, I believe that the actor who played Dennis Mouser sadly passed away. Uh, but he is the other, he is the other main competitor for the job. And it seems like no one's really feeling the Dennis. Malister yeah. The, uh, Dennis Malister, uh, low energy uh, candidate, uh, Dennis Malister. Um, yeah. He also uh, that uh, he's is, uh, with all due respect to the uh, late great Dennis Malister uh, makes Alistair Thorne look like a, you know, pretty spry young candidate to lead the Night's Watch. Yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, comparing the two, especially he's also he's from like a different, you know, section of the wall. He's from the Shadow Tower. So I think everyone's like, eh, there's really nobody at the Shadow Tower. So he's probably going to get five votes. And I think it's really the, the Castle Black crowd that are going to that are going to swing this thing. Yes. Uh, somebody speaks for him, says uh, Sir Dennis Malister joined the Night's Watch as a boy and served loyally longer than any other ranger. Through 10 winters, he served as commander of the Shadow Tower. He kept the wildlings away. We could do no better. Could do a little better. Yeah. A, no, a little better. Not Dennis a Mouser seems like speech. a nice guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Samuel Tarley is going to speak up and Janos comes in, tries to roast him and says, oh, Sam the Slayer, another wildling lover, just like his friend Jon Snow. How's your lady love Slayer? Yeah, and Sam's like, I don't know. Why don't you tell me, you little? <laughs> he just like, he just like proceeds yeah. to just eviscerate Jano Slint. I forgot that Jano Slint got publicly executed twice this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam reveals how uh, they were in the pantry and uh, he was in a puddle of his own making. You would think that uh, that there would be like some repercussions about that. Like, uh, wait, hold on, we were battling the wildlings and you were hiding. Yeah, and everyone's like uh, just mac, you know, mocking him and like mercifully laughing at him. Uh, but I think because Janos is such a, he's such closely knit buddies with Alistair Thorne, and everybody expects Alistair Thorne's about to be Lord Commander. No one's mm-hmm. really going to do anything about it, you know. Just because Janos Lint may have done something illegal or unethical, mm-hmm. his buddy's going to be, you know, the the king of the Night's Watch, so he's going to be protected forever. Okay. All right, so it's corrupt. Sam, it's a corrupt system, Rob. <laughs> Sam is flawed. Uh, it's is, broken. Is, is Sam's gonna uh, give a speech and says, "Look, uh, while Jano Slint was hiding, John was leading. He uh, and, and while Alistair Thorne uh, fought bravely, it's true. Uh, when it was darkest, that's when we turned to John." Right. And John is just like kind of like quietly pounding, you know, some of that shitty Castle Black ale in the corner of the room being like, oh, this is a surprise to me, but I'm not mad at it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good speech, Sam. Yeah. yeah. This guy who was just promised uh, the possibility of becoming the Lord of Winterfell now seeing the very faint possibility of becoming Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And this is something that Jon Snow seems to dig. If only he knew. 
And if only he would like, you know, say something himself. I mean, it seems like he's a very reluctant person to be uh, the Lord Commander because uh, Thorne is going to stand up and say like, hey, he wants it. Uh, you know, who are you going to pick? Uh, me? Uh, I, I kill wildlings. Uh, this guy makes love to wildlings. That's a great line, by the way. Do you want to choose a man who has fought the wildlings all his life or a man who makes love to them? Uh, that's a that's a really great, great piece of dialogue. And you would think that that would close the, the case. And it it almost does. You know, it's a it's a split vote. Uh, half the room is voting for Alistair Thorne. Half the room votes for Jon Snow and everybody else votes Green Party and makes no difference whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Maester Eamon just he decides to he he gets like the the laurel johnson honors and he gets to make the call yeah don't you think that it should have been all of the dennis malister votes that should have voted again for either john or alistair thorne yeah if this was uh first boots rules yeah. that's certainly i think it would have been a better system yeah i think so too yeah so all right so Maester Eamon has decided uh, Jon Snow, uh, a real betrayal for uh alistair thorne i think you gotta be pretty pissed at Maester Eamon after this one yeah, if you're Alistair Thorne, I don't think that you're necessarily going to be really grieving Maester Raymond a little while from now. I don't remember what Alistair Thorne's reaction to Maester Raymond's passing is, uh, but I wouldn't be so thrilled with this guy if I were him. Yeah. Also, uh, the room explodes when John ends up winning the uh, Lord Commandership. I have to say also, in terms of reactions, uh, Dennis Ballister looks like pretty happy with the result. He's like, oh, I think, oh. yeah, I think if it wasn't if it wasn't going to be him, he at least it's it. not Alistair Thorne. Yeah. Uh, Alistair Thorne, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's known him his entire life. He hates Alistair Thorne. <laughs> All right. Uh, Aria versus a pigeon. <laughs> easiest kill of the series she got uh, yeah yeah for her anyway yeah. i mean i think it goes lami green hands and then the pigeon yeah uh yeah she kills the pigeon she's like you like uses needle to decapitate the pigeon i thought that was actually like a fairly uh fairly cool move you got him okay uh she some guys they want needle they want needle uh and aria tells them trust me you do not want needle you, you, the mm-hmm. only way you're getting needle is in a way that you do not want it yeah uh yeah so she's like she pulls out the sword these guys are about to to fight her uh she says it's a, they say it's a nice sword it's worth 100 pieces of sword like that and aria has uh the great one-liner nothing's worth anything to dead men yeah but here comes that guy from the house of black and white and everybody runs for it. Arya like completely turns her back on those three guys to take a look at the person like this is uh, not a great fighting move, I wouldn't think. Probably not, but they're running so far away that I think at that point she's got to figure she'll hear them if they start coming back. Yeah. And so anyway, that guy heads back to the house of black and white. Arya follows him all the way there somehow uh, on a boat as well to get back to the house of black and white. And it's a shame that they edited out the, uh, the boat chase mm-hmm. sequence. <laughs> yeah. That was a very explosive deleted scene. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he wants to know, uh, you know, who are you? She asks, uh, why are they scared of you? And he tells her here, you lost this. And he had the coin. Yeah, he has the coin. He gives it to her. Then he pulls off his it's face. Not the same <laughs> coin, right? No, no, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Got you gotta imagine. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a lot of those coins. So he gives her the coin, pulls off his face. It's Jack and Hagar. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He says, uh, "Come on in." Uh, she's, uh, "Who who are you?" He's uh, he's no one, and that's who you have I'm to no be. One. 
that's who you have to be. Uh, so yes, the quest for Arya to become no one begins here. Uh, and it is it is a few notches above the Dorne storyline, at least. Cut to Marine, and we see that uh, up a harpy is in the street, and uh, he is dead. And it says, "Kill the masters." And so uh, our guy who was uh, behind one wall is uh, set up is propped up on another wall now. Yes, and that is at the hands of our boy Mosador, who man, you uh you overplayed your hand, sir. Yes. Congratulations, you played yourself. Uh he has killed the harpy. He is subsequently apprehended, mm-hmm. and Daenerys is very frustrated about this. She's like, Why did you do it? And he's like, I did it for you. It was totally for you. You couldn't do it, you know, that you wanted him dead, but you couldn't do it for diplomatic reasons, so I did it, and it's great. And they're just like, no, that's not what I wanted. That's definitely not what I wanted. And uh, you screwed up and I'm probably going to have to kill you now. Danny tells him the harpy's life was not yours to take. That the the masters used to be the law. And he's like, yeah, but you're the law now. I'm I'm above the law. I'm with you. Yeah. She's Judge Dredd. Yeah. Uh, So you can pardon me. Yeah. Judge Balerion the Dredd. And she she's not going to pardon him. Mm. She's not going to pardon him. The law is the law. And now Danny's being a stickler. Uh, now, now it's time to, to really, the law is the law. And there is no fair trial because Mosador is just owning it up. He's like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? I'm your friend. Right. Okay. So, all right. We have uh, Danny now uh, set up outside of like what what is going on here? Is Danny about to give like some sort of like the state of Marine address? No, this is a public freaking execution. Which is like you now all of you people need to know that this is not something that you can do. You can't just go around killing each other and have it be unanswered for. It's not okay. It's not cool. And this is what's going to happen if you do it. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. Mosador's the best. Don't kill Mosador. MVP. Yeah. I mean, this is a real mixed message that Danny is sending the people of Marine. Because if I recall, back in the uh, Great Marine Revolution, I mean, didn't Grey Worm go to everybody and then they were writing kill the masters on the walls and then the goal was, hey, kill the masters and then you're you're free. I mean, wasn't that also part of Danny's regime? Yeah, it was, but it's then like, they oh, conquered we're not the doing city. that anymore, everybody. Yeah, that was war. That was then. This is now. Now it's peace. Now I'm in charge. This is how it's going to be now that I'm in charge. That was me becoming the person who is in charge. Now I have become that person. And in my city, you don't just go around stab, stab, stabbing each other. Well, this is just a major miscalculation here because you have this crowd yes. is eating out of Danny's hand. Misa, Misa. And then they're bringing out the guy and like, oh, we love this guy. Mosador, brother, brother. <laughs> yeah. Hodor's cousin, yes. cousin. Everybody, everybody loves Mosador. Oh, oh what is she going to do? Is Mosador the opening act tonight? And she's like, yeah, so Mosador killed a guy, mm-hmm. and now I have to kill Mosador. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. Do not kill Mosador. We love Mosador. And it's there's that, uh, I think there's the moment where Dario's like, oh, man, 
you should have just done this privately. This was such a this is such a I bad mean, idea. Who on Danny's cabinet is advising her that like yes, you need to publicly embarrassing. Ag- no, this is it, it's this not is so a, embarrassing. This is embarrassing is, call everything he says she does. I mean, this is uh, that. Uh, I mean, this seems like that this is vengeance to see your enemies. Yeah, I think no. This is justice because this guy he screwed didn't get up a fair and, trial. Yeah, well, no, This the fair trial is that he confessed. He confessed to the crime. Mm. You know, there's what what trial is there to be had? He's like, yeah, I did it. I killed the guy. So she just decides, you know what, it's done. We're going to do it. We're going to kill this guy, and we're going to do it publicly. And Dario's like, oh, no, just, like, secretly kill him and throw him into a, above, into the floor somewhere. No one has to know. Yeah. And she just did it. So Danny instantly goes from 100% approval rating to 0% approval rating uh, as she has now had Dario behead one of the uh, Miranese former slaves in front of a crowd of adoring Miranese slaves. Yeah, former, former slaves. slaves. Yes. Yeah. So you would think that Dario would have been like, can, can somebody else kill this guy? I don't want to get rocks thrown at me. And I know that that's exactly what's about to happen. Can he go to jail? Uh, I mean, why? Why is there the death penalty for Mosador in a public execution? You know, that's what Danny wants the rule to be. An eye for an eye. Is this from the book? Very Hammurabi style. I don't remember this. Uh, I'm I'm sure that this takes place in the book, but all of the Miranese stuff is a super blur to me. Mm-hmm. That was that was ju- just reading those chapters was a matter of survival. <laughs> yes, as, as far as I remember. Um, but for for the, for the sake of the show, it's the it's the it's the first real catastrophe of Daenerys Targaryen's reign as a ruler, as somebody who is actually governing. She made the choice. I'm going to stay behind in Meereen and rule uh, because I who am I to go to Westeros without knowing a thing about how to actually rule the city and so now she's trying to you know govern this place and it goes horribly horribly wrong with like her first policy act that is entirely of her own making uh has this horribly negative effect so it's really no surprise that the that the sons of the harpy are gonna you know be even further galvanized after this and i do wonder you know it's just part of Part of what I'm thinking about the Daenerys storyline, I've said it before, I don't I don't expect that she is still going to be the queen or like the person who gets to sit on the Iron Throne when all is said and done. I think that she has a very important role to play in the story, and I think the more important thing that she needs to come to appreciate is her destiny as somebody who is going to save people, but not as somebody who is going to be in charge of people. Because I think when it comes to that, Daenerys Targaryen kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. She's really not good when she is the person who is in charge and responsible for like the day-to-day yes. governing of a place. She's really good when she is conquering, when she is helping people, when she is fighting injustice. But once injustice has been fought, it's just not a great look. Uh, and I, I think that this is uh, this this real slight uh, that she she makes against the Miranese people, I think, kind of bolsters that argument for the longer view of the show. Right. She's a great activist. Yes. Uh, not necessarily a leader. She's a leader in certain ways, but I think like uh, she is uh, she is a wartime queen, not a peacetime queen. Mm-hmm. OK. All right, so Danny wants to be left alone after all of this, and she's out on her balcony, and only 
one person is in her corner and not mad at her right now, and that would be Drogon. Yeah, Drogon just kind of indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just shows up, just like plants it on top of the 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 where the where the son of the harpy, where the harpy used to be. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, Drogon, you're back. And it's like yeah, but just for a minute, just to give you like a, you know, we got to figure out some way how to end the episode, right? Yeah, a kind of a soft ending. <laughs> One of the softer soft Game of Thrones endings that we've had in a while. Yeah, in a long time, definitely. I think, you know, it's been a pretty good streak through uh, seasons three and four. This is like straight out of the pages of season two. It's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Have the dragon yeah. fly. I thought that Barristan was going to die in this episode. I thought that was going to be uh, what we go out on. But no. Nah, we got we got a little ways to go before before Barristan meets his maker. Yeah, it was just uh, oh, okay. Here's the dragon. He flew away. Yep, that's it. That's your second episode of season five of Game of Thrones, which I still think is doing pretty well. You know, okay, entertaining entertaining episode of Game of Thrones for sure. Nothing nothing egregious. Starting to see some of the cracks. A little bit. It's the, the we need to put some plaster on those cracks. Yeah, after that guy broke out of the wall, it's not all he cracked. <laughs> Is that how we're gonna fix the wall uh, in uh, going into season eight? Just gotta replaster the wall after the dragon. <laughs> yeah, rocked it? it's hard to fix a big hole in the in the wall. You need like mesh and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's it. That's it for us for uh, for this week and for uh, another week after that. Yeah. So we will have a one week yadas for the Game of Thrones rewatch. We will be off next week. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with season five, episode three. Uh, the good news is, boy, we have so much going on on post show recaps right now. Uh, a ridiculous amount of content you know, that we've gone. Uh, we have uh, what four or five shows that we're covering. I think five, if you count this one at this point, uh, Josh, what are you working on? So we've got the game of Thrones rewatch is going on, uh, taking a, a mini break for just one week, sharp objects. We are barreling towards the finish line on the HBO limited series starring Amy Adams that my great wife, Emily Fox and I, we are podcasting about and having an awesome time there. Uh, Antonio Mazzaro and I, we are podcasting about USA networks, the sinner, which is uh, really, really fun to podcast about. Kind of a super disturbing show. Give that a listen. Give that a watch if you have not already. And Rob, you and Antonio, you guys have been up to some shenanigans as well. Yeah, we're back together on the Better Call Saul post-show recap. Uh, We have got now two episodes in the books in season four of Better Call Saul. And also uh, Fear the Walking Dead is back this week. So I also have my recap of the season 4B premiere of Fear the Walking Dead with jessica lee so uh yeah. a ton of stuff and then you and you and akiva are trying to figure out what to podcast about we're still trying to figure out what to podcast about <laughs> akiva winnaker and i who did the seinfeld podcast uh with me we finished the seinfeld podcast but we don't want to necessarily start a rewatch of another show so we are still uh trying to figure out what it's going to be and where it will be as we uh figure that out it feels very on brand for the Seinfeld podcasters to have a podcast about nothing. Yes, though. Yes. So I, I actually, I really love where your heads are at right now. I think you guys are doing the Lord's work. All right. Well, of course, follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.